M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Is there something you know that we don't know? Is someone coming for our pussy? This is m That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever said. Oh, I didn't think of that. Fuck, that's what I've been getting wrong. And just remember, if it's too fatty, just heat it up. You're in m If that's not in a promo somewhere, I don't want to live anymore. Hello, hello. This is the second intro that I'm recording because since I recorded the first one, the news has come through. <laughs> That Melbourne, Victoria, we're out of lockdown as of midnight, Tuesday night, tonight. It's done. We did it. Um, and I realised how long I've been holding my breath. I burst into tears. And I watched Dan get emotional, said he's going to go to the top shelf. Dan's going to have a little drink tonight. Oh, he's earned it, hasn't he? We all have. It's funny, we've all collectively been going through this same thing and holding our breath and making the best of it and I felt this sigh escape. Everyone I know, everyone on online, just this eruption of relief and, you know, however you're feeling, there's lots of big emotions that are going to come and for me, it's kind of gearing up and getting ready to pick everything up and change direction again and adapt to another new way. You know, you, you do get used to a certain flow of life and energy and, and ins and outs of the family and you adapt, especially if you're an anxious person like I am, you, you kind of bank on the routines and the rhythm of the day-to-day life and that's going to change again. So I'm urging you to go very gently with yourself with this information and this news. And if you've got a small business, I'm so happy for you. For those of you in the arts, I'm with you. It's not our time yet, but we can be happy for everyone else around us and um, know and be safe in the knowledge that when we can all finally put a show on, that they'll be there to support us. I know that's going to happen. I have complete confidence in it. So how exciting. I'm going to get Matt to put in a song that I wrote a couple of years ago because I feel it's appropriate. And yes, it's my podcast and I'm throwing to my own song. (laughs) before. It's called Brand New Day. And it just feels like it's the right sentiment for all of you. And it's the song that I have the rights to because it's my song. So that's why this song's going in there and not something way cooler. Um, But before we put the song in, I do also want to make mention of my daughter went back to school today. All the 13-year-olds are allowed back, the year eights and nines. And God, she's. I said to her before she went, I'm so proud of you. Your eyebrows look amazing. Make sure you've moisturised. That were the three things I sent her off with because remember how important being 13 was and being around your friends. And when I was 13, I was completely obsessed with Fred Savage and all my friends were obsessed with him from the wonder years. And if I couldn't go to school and talk to him, obsess about him and put pictures of from Smash Hits up in my locker and we all stood there and we all hated Winnie Cooper. Oh, my God. I used to wish the worst things happened to her in her silky, shiny, long black hair. She had the most amazing hair, remember? But you remember how important it was to be around your mates and Odie's been locked up in the house, safe, not locked up. She's been here safe, away from her friends. So I was so pleased for her to get back amongst it. Oh, God, I'm just now just reflecting on the Wonder Years and Kevin Arnold, Fred Savage. Oh, I've got little butterflies. I really was. I, I even went and saw this horrible Nintendo movie because he starred in it called The Wizard. <laughs> I loved him. And, and like, even when we were going through photos for social media to put up uh, on the at Insulation Instagram, are you following it? You should be. Because Michael and I do lives from there and you'll miss it if you're not following. I, I, even as, as we were picking the photos, I said to Michael, oh, my heart's a bit flutter. 
still got that thing for him. Uh, and then he was on Austin Powers with the big bowl. All right, well, we're going to put the song in now because I just feel like you've earned it. Turn it up. It's my big gay anthem, initially written for marriage equality, but it applies. It applies, Melbourne. A brand new day is coming. And then after that, Michael's going to appear and we'll be talking about, oh, everything. We won't be talking about the restrictions lifting because we recorded that part before Dan made the announcement. So just bear with us. You're getting it now. Here I am saying, well fucking done, Melbourne. Well done. Mummy's proud of you. Let's get this right. Let's do it. Okay, play the music. We ain't got nothing to feel. We ain't got nothing to hide. When we come together, we are better, we are bright. We ain't got nothing to feel. We ain't got nothing to hide. Tomorrow ain't that far away. A brand new day is coming. A brand new day is coming. I say a brand new day is coming. So get on up. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. All right. Well, we are pausing currently the um, lockdown restriction lifting. Is that right? Was that the language? Pausing, yeah. We'll put a cautious pause. Easing. <laughs> Cautiously pausing the easing of things. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on a cautious pause of easing for about 42 years. So... <laughs> I'm cautiously pausing the easing, guys, so let's just all get with it. Um, But, look, things are rapidly changing, obviously, Michael Lucas. And a new character has entered the arena. Please explain. Yes. His name is Jerome. (laughs) (laughs) Jerome is the new head of our contact tracing. And now he comes out at all our press conferences. And I'm really sorry. I have heard from interstate people who are like, you're talking about all these people in these press conferences. We don't watch them losers. They haven't actually said losers, but I feel like that's what they're saying. But anyway, we do it. So we've obviously, you know, Dan is at the centre and then Brett, of course, we've heard for ages. But now Jerome has stepped in to sort Mm. of bat back questions about the contact tracing. And, uh, yeah, bald head, strong beard, Slightly British accent. I found out he actually grew up in the Netherlands, I think, for a little period of time and then lived in London. He did all of, like, the tube, getting all the ticketing system worked out there, and he's done a bit on our public transport. And apparently the government, when our contact tracing was in the shit, said, you've got to come in. He's not a medical background. He manages people. And he manages people and he manages people moving. And uh, tell you what. my mum does. So Jenny and Jerome would be a terrifying... I would absolutely back Jenny to fix any kind of contact tracing. She would get it out of people who they've met. Yeah. My mum should be in charge of contact tracing because no fucker would lie to her or she'll (laughs) track you down. She'll track you down and she'll track your family members down in one day. She's amazing. So Jerome I liked. I like his podium technique. I like how he slaps the podium. Yeah. To really hammer his points home. It's like Dan's brought in, and I was saying to you, uh, he's brought in Super Nanny Joe Frost. So we've all been <laughs> we've all been Molly Coddled. There's been no naughty corners. There's been a lot of, you know, well dunning, so great. You're doing really well. And then finally Dan's going, oh, fuck it. They don't give a shit about that. So they've brought in Jerome to put to say, guys, get in the naughty corner and sit there for another two days. I asked for this extra extension. 
He did. He did boldly say that, that it was him. And then to be fair, the reporters said, will you release more numbers this evening? And, and, and he did. And then he came out this morning already. He's out this morning to reveal no new cases yesterday. And so, I mean, he, he knows how to own it. <laughs> and I appreciate you, it. I feel like Brett's think- the soft parent and he's the, oh, yes. Yes. he's the disciplinarian. Yes. He's a backup. Do you think that part of them like would have felt more vindicated if there were more cases? <laughs> I didn't, I mean. <laughs> like in a weird, obviously you don't want people getting sick. No. But in a weird like clinical kind of ego way, do you think they're like, oh, none? I do think that there would be an element of, okay. I mean, look, let's just say that they could they could still find more. But at the mm. in the past 24 hours they found none and that was the one that they were dropping out. Trump, you yeah. know, sort of talking mm. about being really dangerous. I, yeah, there's got to be a slight element of like, Okay, I sent the city into an absolute tailspin, uh, yeah. and yeah. I was being too cautious for no reason. But there'd be a bigger part of it. I mean, they all—if they can't roll on with this lifting down midweek, I think. Oh my god! I think they'll be pretty happy that they can. I keep reading articles like you know, um, some guy had bought fell four thousand dollars worth of food in anticipation of his cafe opening on Thursday, and now it's going to go to waste. And I'm like, oh, there'd be so many people oh. who would have thought, but it could still be happening. Oh, it could and be. I, but also the uh, the psychological difficulty apart from rotting food and whatever yeah. of constantly having a shifting date because in tv we had we were waiting for sort of arts ministry uh, mm. uh regulations about when we could go into pre-production it was an ever-changing thing and we've got like hundreds of crew members and one day you're going we think it's going to be monday and then a few oh. hours later no no no, sorry say that it's not going to be and it's just you, you your adrenaline it keeps going up and down you don't know how to rest you can't it's so frustrating apart from all the financial stress and everything it's just the frustration and it was a bit like dan was very proudly saying all last week or well, we're in a good position to uh lift restrictions and so we were we were the kids sitting there we were ready for the treat we had been but promised viennetta me- ice cream and it was taken I away know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god remember what a treat viennetta ice cream was still is <gasps> can you still get that actually i don't know <laughs> Remember, oh my God, it was the greatest treat my dad would bring it home like once a month. That crunchy. Yeah, <gasps> with the particularly, it sort of was almost like a buttery ice cream, but then with the real oh. crunch to the chocolate all the way through it. <gasps> oh, it was elegant. It was European. God, <laughs> you've brought back a good memory then. Um, well, for me as a live performer, I, I'm so, I'm sorry, Wednesday means jack shit to me. I'm waiting for everything to start ticking over enough so that I might be able to tour mid next year. Mm-hmm. So uh, every time there's a setback, I'm like, oh, there's another month. There's another yeah. month that I can't be going into. I just need them to open the borders because I can't take in 20 crew, pay them all to isolate for 14 days, pay all their meals or their accommodation, and then we have to come back and isolate. Like it's no one can – no live performance can happen. So I, I must admit my thing is also the border. I mean my husband has <laughs> – for love stayed in this state the whole time and been separated from his family and I need those borders to open. I mean, but also work-wise, work-wise I need. Yeah, we yeah, need crew course. and everything. Oh, it's more, we've, we're actually getting crew in from New South Wales, but I don't want them to have to go to hotel quarantine on the way, yeah. on the way back. Well, we'll wait and see. Uh, in the meantime, I do want to discuss uh, Borat. <laughs> You're saying it with quite a heavy tone. Like, uh, is it that I, 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 full disclosure, told them that she had, I wouldn't call it so much as a recommendation. I just said, you need to watch it. If you can't get through it, here's two bits <laughs> that you need to see. You did say to me, because we had a car boot picnic yesterday, you and I, and um, you're like, you just have to watch, just watch it. I think we have to talk about it. And we do have to talk about it. So it's it's the sequel, Borat's subsequent movie film. 
10 years ago, I released a movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee land to carry out secret mission. I go to America! What do you say? No, it's not me. I don't know where to begin. So basically he's been in a gulag for 13 years um, because he brought national shame to Kazakhstan and then they want him to come out of the, the prison camp and go and get in the good graces of America because Donald Trump has taken over and they feel like he's friends with Putin, he's friends with everyone else, Kim Jong-il. Un, il. Yeah. Um, and the leader of Kazakhstan wants to be part of the, the big boys crew. So they send in Borat to gift his first a monkey who stars in porn to Mike <laughs> Pence and then it ends up that he needs to gift his 15-year-old daughter to someone who's prominent in the Republican Party, basically. I'm here to give my daughter as a gift to someone close to the throne. I need dress with real sexy pills. Uh, this is a bag that just goes Ooh, over the dress. Very nice. Michael Penis, I brought the girl for you. There's so many things that red flagged for me. Like that... I feel like it's it's almost absurd that it's not satirical anymore because I wasn't surprised by anything that came out of some of those people's mouths. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes. And I, one thing that I was thinking, and this is a bit horrifying to reflect on, when that movie came out and when Sasha Baron Cohen just started doing his thing in general, showing up the ridiculousness of American culture and all of the racism underneath and everything, it was so shocking and strange and hilarious. The only problem is now so much of that has come to the surface and is in Correct. the White House. That, that um, it's not like it needs to be unearthed anymore. We know it. We yeah. know it. Yeah, he's confirming something we've all found out ourselves through the Black Lives Matter movement, through Trump's administration, through the multiple women who have come forward, you know, to say that he's been sexually inappropriate with them. That everything, everything that kind of Borat brought shockingly brought to light in two thousand and seven. Now we all know. So I felt like I was watching. I'm like, yeah, yep, yep, sure, and. Also, the way there's a particular scene that is there's two scenes that are sp- being spoken about the most, and it's the first one is with uh, Rudy Giuliani, everybody's mayor, everybody's favorite mayor. Um, Don- <laughs> Twenty <laughs> years ago, maybe you and I were talking about that. He was so spectacular post nine eleven. He was just like, remember? Do you remember oh, Rudy I Giuliani? Know. He was the mayor of New York after that terrible, horrible tragedy and he handled it so beautifully with so much grace and so much strength and leadership. And I remember thinking, God, he's amazing. And now he's just this cretinous, you know, elderly white guy who's the personal attorney of Donald Trump. So Mm. imagine the shit he knows. Mm. And... There's a scene where he's in the hotel room with a reporter who's Borat's 15-year-old daughter and they end up in the bedroom. We don't quite know how they got in there. And there's there's a lot of knee touching, a lot of hip touching. He's being very inappropriate just on baseline with this woman. Who has been the whole premise of it was she's been guided to say just just play you know you you you're you're always polite you're never angry and you just laugh at everything they say and she pulls that on him and tell you what it works a treat he eats it up like it's unbelievable mm. 
And there's there's a, there's a scene that has been picked over like frame by frame of him laying down on the bed with his hands down his pants. Yeah. Now he's saying he's tucking his shirt in because she pulled it out to get his microphone out and then they're saying that he was being like getting ready to kind of expose himself or, or have relations with her. You can give me your phone number and your address. Should we slip your jacket? Put down your crumb. She's 15. She's too old for you. Why are you dressing? She's my daughter. Please take me instead. I'm better than him. No, I better. So it hasn't really achieved anything because everyone who's kind of liberal has said, American liberal, so like our labor, oh, he's disgusting, he's a creep. And then the the Republicans are like, oh, no, he was set up by an evil woman. Do you know what I mean? So really. I, I, I don't know. I think it has achieved something, which is he's been on this mission of like trying to go out and do his tour. Um, releasing all this supposed Hunter Biden stuff. And it's just, Mm. it's completely thrown a spanner in the works. He can't do his press tour. His whole mission that he clearly set himself two weeks before the election has been derailed. Whether or not, whether or not it's swaying, you know, people's impression of him or the way they vote is one thing, but it certainly, it certainly meant that Rudy Giuliani's, grand tour of I have the evidence that's going to bring them down. I mean, it was never going to work anyway, but now yeah. it's really not going to work. And also, I, if you watch, there's no way he was tucking <laughs> in his shirt. It's disgusting. I don't know. I feel like everything up to that point already done for me. I mean, can we, what is most astounding is he actually says the sentence, China manufactured the virus and let it out, deliberately spreading it around the world. A little bit about China. As an expert of national security, what do you think we can do going forward to prevent this from happening again? Well, well, China manufactured the virus and let it out. And they deliberately spread it all around the world. That is the most, like, first of all, saying that, I was like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. And then he went even, like, worse nuclear with the whole touching of the young reporter and then going into the room with the closed door. And on the very most baseline of things, he was breaking social distancing rules. They were not 1.5 metres apart. <laughs> like, if we're going to – but oh, the whole thing was not great. Like, the, the whole thing. The bit that, for me, it, like, you know how we sort of say everything's out on the surface now so there's not much that he can reveal. The one bit that genuinely I found kind of a bit shocking and revealing because we don't hear from these people that much was when he went to stay with the QAnon oh. supporters. I the, think that was set up. You don't think they're real? Nah. Well, they, they, they enabled the plot to move forward so beautifully. Like, they had to be a part of it. Like, I, I feel like they must have known. That it was pretty astonishing. It, I just the way they Mind were able you, to, all they were doing was spouting the actual QAnon theories that Hillary Clinton derives her energy from drinking the blood of tortured children. Correct. That for me, they were very solemnly <laughs> saying that Democrats drink the blood of tortured children. They and they and they said that with straight face, and that is something that is out there, obviously. But there is one <laughs> scene, particularly um, the moon blood scene, um, that. We had to pause it and gather ourselves. <laughs> I know. You know and what's he, coming. It's so heavily set up. They're going uh, to a dead ball as father We don't want to give it away. Don't give it away. Do we want to give it away? We don't want to give the whole thing away. I don't know how much to give away. <laughs> it's more that, well, you know going into the scene, they're going to a dead ball. He's presenting her. It's a real dead ball. And then she does in the south. it is. It's the time for her moon blood. And that's all um, we'll say. But even knowing that, I'm thinking, how are they going to pull this out? Jesus Christ. It's, they go there and then some. She's doing a fertility dance as well. 
with the moon blood situation mm. in the dress, <laughs> in the, in the white dress. But that was a real red flag for me because of the putting menstruation in a place of horror and shock and shame is the stigma that I've been kind of personally fighting within what I do and I've been looking a lot into it and having daughters and the way people reacted to someone having their period in disgust, I don't know, that really made me uncomfortable, Michael. I but wasn't, was it, but wasn't, it, wasn't it mocking that reaction of them, like, you know, them having that freak but they, out? But they used that idea of period as the butt of the joke. I don't know. I Yes, and if we want to go totally meta, then yes, Bar, um, Sasha Baron Cohen has proven the attitudes toward women menstruating. Yes, but... What's he doing to counterbalance that? Like where's the person there going, guys, it's totally fine. Like I, I don't know. And I'm probably looking too far. I'm just telling you what my gut did. Yes. And I How did you go with – there was one person who I also felt like a bit of a setup who sort of emerged as the hero. Was Janice. The- was Janice that the African American woman who saw yeah, the babysitter? Up? That Janice. I loved that bit, and it was it was unusual in his film to see someone be put under the test and come through as a hero. Yeah. And I, you know, who knows how much of it was scripted or whatever, but basically he gives his daughter to stay with her for a while, and she's, she's babysitter. She starts discerning the situation and starts offering her actually pretty amazing advice, and yeah. she's the only sensible person in this entire shit show. Yeah, there's a 15 year old girl who's staying with the babysitter who he presumably found on Craigslist and saying things like, my dad wants to give me to an older man, my dad wants me to have a boob job, I'm 15. And Janice is like, okay, let's talk about this. You don't. She's very affirming, yes. But there's one woman who I have been looking into, Judith Dim Evans, who um, is a Holocaust survivor. So um, Borat goes into a synagogue dressed as how he perceives a Jewish person <laughs> So he's got devil wings on, witch's talons, a long nose, colouring, every story, every negative stereotype you can think about the Jewish people and Jewish faith. And he goes in there and there are two women sitting there. One of them's Judith Dim Evans and she's a Holocaust survivor. I wanted to know she was in on the joke. She sort of was. They told her that he was a character, that Sasha is Jewish and he was making a film to ex- ex- stamp out anti-Semitism. So... She knew that he was a character and she knew that they wanted to get the message across that the Holocaust did happen. So she kind of did know about it and she was so beautiful and then she died just after they finished filming. Oh, she was really beautiful. She was beautiful but her family are suing the production company over her portrayal. So I'm I'm really interested to see how that said. So, and he dedicated the film right at the very end because I watched to the end. The film is dedicated to Judith, the whole film. So it's a really interesting turn of events. Yeah, I mean, she comes off pretty spectacularly in it. I'm not quite sure. I mean, she's she as well as one of the heroes. I, I can't okay. quite see how it would be defamation. I know. I don't know what the angle is. Unless it was just they felt like she was not told the truth about what was happening. Yeah, Maybe they probably. were just angry about that. And also probably, yeah, I mean, it would be there's really a lot disturbing of people, if. <laughs> there's a lot of people in that film 
who I imagine would feel misrepresented. How Sasha Baron Cohen, his lawyers, I mean, hats off. Uh, one bit that made me laugh, like it was great comedy writing and I really enjoyed it, it was the faxing back and forward with the leader of Kazakhstan. <laughs> the faxing, and I just tell you, anytime you go to the fax place, just I was cacking. That, that, that was a great oh, job. What about the Melania cartoon, Princess Melania? Mm. Oh. The, yeah, the way the beast grabs her vagina and they waltz while the hand is on the vagina the entire time. I, I should just say I was about three gins in when I watched this movie on Saturday night and I think that's where you need to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, for 100%. I was st- stone cold sober. No, I overall I think Sasha Baron Cohen is very brave. I think, yes, that's what some of the stuff he did definitely put himself in harm's way. Like he walked into the Conservative Political Action Conference and Mike Pence was there and he walked in dressed as a Ku Klux Klan member <laughs> and, then, and then came out in the most realistic Trump face mask I've ever seen with a 15-year-old girl slung over his shoulder as Trump presenting that as a gift to Pence. Mm. So the whole thing, he would have been in danger. There were guns all around him a lot. A lot of the times he was in places where it's totally legal to carry a, a semi-automatic assault rifle on your chest. <laughs> yeah. So in that respect, yes. But does the film help anything Did to examine the election? Did it nourish you coming out of it? Mm, <laughs> I felt, generally I felt uncomfortable the whole time and I found myself asking this question. I think I asked myself this question 50 times. Is that a wee? Okay with this. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I kept looking around to find you, my moral compass. Like I, I looked at Chella, my daughter, who was so unimpressed. And she's a woke teen, guys. And it got a thumbs down from one of the wokest teens I know. So <laughs> I think I'm a little bit more um, relaxed to things and give people the benefit of the doubt in terms of performance because I know a lot of times my performances are taken the wrong way. You can skate but- close to that line. But Not I as close at, as he does. He skates over no, that line. No. Oh, he gets that line pregnant. Um, oh, the scene at the oh, at the clinic, the health clinic with the pastor, and they're talking about a, the baby. Oh, <laughs> but I, my very woke teenage daughter, who's probably one of your future leaders, didn't enjoy it at all. So well, I don't know you, what you want to take from that. You've been given adequate warning. You know what you're in for. <laughs> it's on Amazon. Well, we have got a nourishing thing to talk about, sort of. Lizzo. I want to talk about Lizzo and Dave Letterman. It was a, yesterday I kind of, the baby went to bed early and I sat and I watched all of the interviews from season three on Dave Letterman's My Next Guest. And it was uh, Dave Chappelle, um, Robert Downey Jr., Lizzo, Kim Kardashian, and am I forgetting anyone? Um, oh, I don't know. I didn't watch any other ones. No, that's it. That's it. It's a short season because they were filming during COVID. And I just enjoyed it so much, all of them, especially the Dave Chappelle one. Mm. Um, like one of the biggest stand-up comedians in the world, had this huge TV show and just one day if he quit with middle of a contract, no warning, highest rating show on telly for comedians. And he just walked away because it felt wrong. And he described the moment where he was making these jokes and he really flies, talking about flying close to the edge with material, like he really Oh, absolutely. Things. And he talks about he, he heard a crew member laughing at a joke he was making. He was in blackface and he is an African-American man who was making a point in a, skit, in a sketch with blackface and he felt some of the crew were laughing at it in the wrong spirit. And then he felt like he died a bit on the inside and then he quit the show. Mm. And then he went and he moved to a country town where he grew up 
and just set himself up there and he's kind of become the unofficial mayor of this tiny town. In, is it in Ohio? Yeah, yeah, where everyone knows everyone. It did look pretty idyllic. Like I took down the name thinking, oh, I'll do a road trip through there. Same, Yellow Springs. Yeah, yeah I was like, I'm going there. <laughs> I connected with quitting a high-profile show and retreating to the bush and um, finding your own community. I don't know. It's, it was a strange. I cried a lot. I was shocked that nobody ever talked about what it feels like to watch a man get murdered that way by a man in a police uniform. But I don't want retroactive justice. I don't want you to get him after I'm dead. I want you to stop it. He comes across as sort of incredibly wise, but still Mm. quite a weird mix of humble when he needs to be, but also can completely be confident when he needs to be. (laughs) And incredibly sharp and acerbic as well, which is, it's, it's, he has such a unique mix of qualities that you don't normally get in one person. And, Mm. and uh, he's super compelling. Also, you know him from A Star Is Born. He was in that as well. He had a supporting (laughs) role. Which they came to him to film. So he doesn't leave Ohio. He doesn't leave. Like he, he kept saying that now his financial situation's turned around. Is that just the Netflix specials? Yes. Oh, okay. Gone, Dave Chappelle's neighborhood. It's gone off. It's mm. it's so successful, and he really built it himself. Where he was involved, everyone in his community, everyone was hired. Like he's really brought cash into the area. Like he's he's done something wonderful. But the interview that and um, the Kim Kardashian one's definitely worth a watch. I um. I respect her. I know she's she's nearly 40. She's obviously done a lot of reflection. She's studying law at the moment. I feel like that's pretty impressive. And I must admit, out of everything we know about her, that's probably what we know about her the least. And in some yeah. ways, it's the most impressive thing. That is this I agree. mother in her late 30s, she decided to take on a law degree and is clearly, you yeah. know, talented. She, and, and is in it for the right reasons because she wants agree. to overturn false convictions. and Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, her face is... Uh, yes, it's hard. It's it's kind of mesmerising, isn't it? Those lips full to bursting. Nothing, nothing moves. Like, nothing moves. The other and thing that was interesting was she sort of told the story of what it was like in her family when the OJ Simpson. That was compelling. Yeah, and her mother took one side, mm-hmm. obviously sided with Nicole's Nicole. family, the late mm-hmm. Nicole, and her father was representing OJ. So the family was split over it and they're all friends with the kids and yes. it's just an incredibly complex situation that I hadn't really heard them speak about much before. Me neither. And she even talks about answering the phone when OJ rings because he wants to speak to Chris and then from jail. Yeah. And she said she hears Chris yelling at him about murdering her friend. It was dinner time when we were all sitting down and I answered the phone and it was a call from jail and it was OJ and I handed my mom the phone because he wanted to speak to her and I just remember them getting into it. You know, my mom was extremely vocal on her feelings. What did, what did she think or feel? Um, you know, she was believed that, you know, her friend was murdered by him. And that was really traumatizing for her. And then we'd go to my dad's house and it was a whole other situation there. And it would be like Johnny Cochran, Bob Shapiro, my dad, like the whole team. So we didn't really know what to believe or whose side to take as kids because we didn't want to hurt one of our parents' feelings. God! Oh, I found it compelling. And I also found compelling Kanye and all the, the sisters, except for Kylie and Kendall, were sitting in the audience with Chris. Mm. And, like, you could just see they were very uncomfortable sitting amongst the commoners, first of all. Like, 
It was like these shiny unicorns have been placed amongst, you know, Indian minor birds. Do you think that they'd filled the row behind them with like trained actors so that there wouldn't be any interruption or anything like I don't that. know, but Kanye had his hood on the whole time and sunglasses. So way to really be incognito, guys, <laughs> sitting indoors. <laughs> but, yeah, I found it compelling. But I want to talk about the Lizzo interview, which I found just, if you want an antidote to Borat, uh, subsequent movie film, watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Watch David Letterman interview Lizzo. It's on Netflix. She, she's just, she's a delight. People can be so ugly talking about flutes. I hate it. You put your hand here and you put like this. Oh my God, this is so cool. <gasps> you are natural. People don't do it that good the first time. Where do I blow? <laughs> wow. And I didn't know that she studied under Prince. Really? I knew that he had a part in her music. I didn't realise she went to Paisley Park twice oh, a week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, oh. I knew that long long before she had her rise to fame. Yes, yeah. in Minneapolis. And I love that Prince was in this very niche in Minneapolis helping out young African-American female musicians. Mm. He was developing them. And I love how she referred to him as Charlie because he, she only ever heard from him through a speaker. <laughs> I love that. But I don't know, there's just something there's something magical about Lizzo. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and the bits that they show, I mean, as you know, I have my weird thing where Lizzo represents the before times because I was so into her before all of this happened. But when they showed her concerts and her big festival appearances, when she was doing that chant to, with the audience and getting them to call back that they're beautiful and they can do anything, it made me tear up. And you all can change the world. So right now I want you to say to me, I love you. You are beautiful. And you can do anything. Now I want you to look at the person next to you and say, I love you. You are beautiful. And you can do anything. Well, we had just watched Borat make an audience do a call and respond when he was paying a country music singer saying, um, inject them with the Wuhan flu. Yeah, chop um, up journalists like the Saudis do. Yeah, chop up journalists like the Saudis do, inject them with the Wuhan flu. Who wants to chop them up like the Saudis do? Yeah. Chop them up like the Saudis do. Okay, you ready? That was his call and response to Lizzo's call and response. I'm beautiful. I can do anything. You know, like it was, oh, my God, it really was the antithesis of each other, wasn't it? And how did you go with Dave through all of this? Because one thing that I would say is I kind of appreciate seeing him in this mode of his career. I like that, you know, we always watched him do the, you know, the night talk show, late talk show interview, which is kind of show busy and a bit facile. And in this format, he's sort of got the ability to say what he wants and to go into areas. And to me, at least, he's actually a pretty engaging kind of long form interviewer. And I felt like with most of them, because I've seen, I've seen these people be interviewed a lot, especially Lizzo. I mean, I watch every Mm -hmm. single appearance she does, but he has a way of I don't know. He follows his own curiosity and he often gets somewhere that it hasn't occurred to them to say before or, or, um, I, and I also too feel he's, I don't know. He's quite, 
he's obviously was at times a very arrogant performer and I feel like that has changed. Like he's, he's a lot more willing to, I don't know, see ground to people and to, um, uh, you know, and to be genuinely cur- curious about them. So I, I'm, I'm liking him in this mode. Em? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, <clears throat> I think he's learned how to interview women. I think that's a massive step forward for him. Um, if you want to go and look up something truly soul-destroying, there is a supercut made of the way Dave Letterman treated his female guests over the years and it was always 100% exclusively commenting on their appearance for the first two minutes. Um, their cleavage, their legs, everything, their dress, how tight it was. He didn't know how to interview talented, powerful women. Let's go kiss the guy in the audience. Why don't you go kiss the Why guy in the audience? Why are you so obsessed with my sex life? As we all know, I have none of my own. Uh, the film uh, looks like a lovely offering, and by the way, you're a lovely offering. Oh. Uh, when you hugged me like that, I think my carrot moved. He's learnt how to do that, and, and I'm grateful. And famously, in 94, Madonna took revenge on him when she went on and, and completely flipped the tables and swore about 800 times. Yes. <laughs> I love, it's one of my favourite talk show appearances ever. What brings you-, you are a sick and, and Tina Fey has, on more than one occasion, talked about her complicated feelings about Dave Letterman. And I, I definitely think we're seeing a man who has done deep reflection. I certainly think he, and as Dave Chappelle said, you need to leave room for redemption, otherwise honest conversations can't happen. Um, I was like, yes, Dave, when he said that. Um, <laughs> And so in the spirit of that, I do think that there's been, definitely been some redemptive behaviour on David Letterman's behalf when he's interviewing. No, <laughs> it's like you're releasing your official statement on David Letterman. Well, to come I, to, I have a really complex... Yeah, no, I he, know. He represents a lot of stuff that I've battled with within the entertainment industry and he, he represents the, the archetype, powerful, straight white guy in media who gets away with doing whatever the fuck he wants while women are under this intense microscope. Um, I would argue... And, and late night hosts, it's, it's this weird culture of until Samantha B. there are yeah. all these, you know, mostly white dudes. I mean, Trevor yeah. Noah's there, there now. But mm. it, it is bizarre that the culture has stayed mm. that sort of mm. middle-aged white guys for mm. so many decades. How have they mm. owned... what? What supposedly mm. is it about the middle-aged white guy that means he's uniquely suited to have a late-night show? <laughs> but I think, yeah, his interview with Lizzo, he's definitely he's definitely going through some stuff still now. I think he keeps talking about how unhappy he is. He's very thin. I noticed that he doesn't yeah, look particularly healthy. Yeah, but I do enjoy watching how much he's evolved in terms of interviewing women, for sure. That's that's been a definite improvement. But the stars for me are the interviewees. Robert Downey Jr. as well is just so charming. And talk about someone who's been on a journey. I mean, he said that he was on drugs from the age of eight to thirty-eight. Eight. Um, yeah, he had Jesus. smoked his first joint with his dad when he was eight. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, so God. Downey Jr. is very, very two very charismatic people. It's it's great. It's a great series. I don't know, and I just felt it just made me feel better, which is what I'm looking for at the moment. Also, I have to say that there is a real gap in the market for the long form interview because back in the day when we had Andrew Denton, that show was mm. pretty magical, and and now I don't know we, we've sort of moved away from that format for some reason. But I was our attention spans are like two minute YouTube videos. That's mm. why. I think they're so – and I love seeing where they live 
And I love seeing them in different environments. And oh, and that, just, one of the great oh. things about it is because of COVID, he used to do it in a theatre in New York, I presume. Um, yeah. But now he goes to their hometowns and everything, and, and it mm. makes it better, I think. It, it, I agree. It, it, him drifting around their homes and seeing where Lizzo lives and playing yeah. a flute and everything like that. Oh, the flute was so great. And, and hearing the story behind the flute that her dad gave her, Sasha, and – Oh, I just love the whole thing. So watch that. Now, before you go, we can't not talk about Adele. Of course. (laughs) We have to just briefly talk on Adele. SNL. Jeez, I'd be... I'd be a bit annoyed if I was the musical act. Her, H-E-R, was the musical act. I don't know if we, she's, is it her or, yeah, her. She was the musical act, but it's all mean about Adele. And Adele even sings in a couple of sketches and obviously, honestly doing my dream sketch. So she's just talking then she's all of a sudden in the middle of a song. Yeah. It's so great. (laughs) But, oh, God, I mean, I know we shouldn't be focusing on it. It's not important. Well, I mean, she was making jokes about it as soon as she got into her monologue. (laughs) She, oh, I felt like she was speaking directly to us because she made a joke about her weight and then she really quickly said, I haven't finished my album. And I felt like, okay, yep, sure. Good. All right, good. Thanks for letting us know. That was our next question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. Where's the album? She answered that in the first 30 seconds. It's it's astonishing. It is startling. It's just a whole transformation. And we're not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying here is a person who looks a very well-known person, completely different. Well, and also now she looks like a very glamorous movie star. Like she's kind of, like it's not too far to say that she sort of looks like a blonde, like I'm going to say Angelina Jolie, but we're sort of in that ballpark now. Like, like yeah. that's, that's, that's where she's gone. And it, and obviously, you know, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't make any difference, but Doesn't un- matter. undeniably you sort of have to recalibrate your, um, relationship with her on screen for some reason. I mean, it is like looking at a different person, which she sort of acknowledges. She cracked it. I thought that joke was a bit weird, that joke. Like she was like, she she said. The COVID joke. No, no, she said. Yeah, she said, uh, um, she goes, I look a bit different and um, that she. Oh, you're doing Adele. Oh, wait, let me settle in. I love it when you do Adele's (laughs) accent. Okay, go. Go, go, go. Be do it. I look a bit different. Um, No, I can't do it. But she she had, and the joke she had was. Um, that she had to fly over. And now with the COVID restrictions, you've got to change whatever, everything. And she goes, I um, had to lose half my luggage and this is the half of me I bought. And and I felt like, oh, okay, sure, that's oh the joke God. they came up with. Got amazing. It. They're gonna, you know what they're going to say? Like, Em and Michael had Adele on the podcast. Like, what a get. <laughs> what a get. Jesus, well done, everyone. Well, I, you know, as Em well knows, I can sing um, someone like you perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think, I mean, and talk about she's just, instead of drip feeding us, you know, tiny little appearances, she just came out and hosted us now, which I love. So worth watching. God, there's a lot of things. She also did it. There was a really funny sketch that they did, I thought, with um, the, it's a group of people seeing a psychic in 2019. Oh, and the psychic God. is predicting, they're like, going, oh, it's been such a full on year. What's going to happen in 2020? And the psychic starts going, I'm seeing colouring books and I'm seeing you at home. And it's <laughs> such a simple idea for a sketch, but it was, I needed it. I felt attacked and seen at the same time. <laughs> Because all I, I'm very into adult coloring books, and the psychic will will play it. Have a listen. Yeah, this year has been so insane and hard. We kind of want to skip ahead and just see what next year holds instead. Yeah, 2019 has sucked, but I think 2020 is going to be our year. <laughs> I see you on the phone with the man from FedEx, and you are crying. 
you're saying, where is my adult coloring book? I need my adult coloring book. So, yeah, obviously, I thought I would be seeing crowds and touring and doing concerts, but my entire 2020 has been adult colouring books, as people know. (laughs) I felt like, oh, okay, someone's been spying. Fine. I didn't realise everyone was doing it. All right, well, we've gone everywhere. This is another pop culture crevice unturned this morning. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you. By the time you listen to this, presumably we'll know whether or not we are allowed to go back into cafes and retail again. Still in a pause of... Cautious pause. Cautious pause. Are we still in? That's the name of the episode today, by the way. Cautious pause. (laughs) It's such a full on. Imagine if you did withdraw the dessert from the child and the child starts screaming and then you just go, it's a cautious pause. (laughs) I'm all went to imagine during sex, you just stop having sex. And like, and you're like, what's wrong? And you're just going, it's just a cautious pause. Are you okay? That's for me feels like the only place a cautious pause is necessary. So cautiously pausing during sex. (laughs) (laughs) God. All right, I'll talk to you later. On that note, bye. (laughs) Bye. This is Emsolation. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, I've got a really exciting special treat for you later in the week. Uh, Another Emsolation conversation. I won't give too much away now, but... um, It's going to be super helpful. This woman is so impressive. She's a pioneer in her field. Um, It's something all women struggle with and I'm going to talk to her about it and get to the bottom of it. I've certainly started reframing certain things in my life in much more positive ways because of her work. It's very exciting, um, but I'll let you know more on Thursday. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. You know I love and appreciate all of your ears tuning in, Demsolation. Talk later on. Bye, guys. A Podcast One production.